All right, everyone, how's it going here today? It is uh, Wednesday, the 16th of September. You're listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast with me, CJ Baumgartner. And uh, sorry for uh, no episode last week. Some things just got in the way, but uh, promise you I'll make up for it. We'll uh, have a great show today. And uh, just kind of, again, diving into all that's Minnesota sports and then some. It was a pretty busy week, uh, obviously, with Minnesota sports. Football beginning, the Twins uh, still playing as the season sort of winds down. Feels like we kind of just got started but we're already on the downswing, already looking forward to uh, to the postseason, to what that kind of brings, well, and uh, kind of the changes that baseball is having not only in the postseason format, but also in where they're going to play. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit as it comes up. But first, let's just uh, break right into the Minnesota Twins. Now, a lot's happened since our last episode, and I and I tried to tell you uh, in the last episode, I tried to try to bring it up is uh, is. You know the question. The big question was: Was it time to panic about the Minnesota Twins? And the question, and the answer to that question is no. Obviously, it wasn't time to panic. It was still a very good team. They're just kind of going through a bit of a a bit of a low point in the season. They had a couple of guys hurt. Obviously, Donaldson, Buxton were a couple of those big guys, um, and they got everybody healthy. And you saw that offense start to take off. You saw them hit 11 home runs or whatever the number was uh, in the series against Cleveland against three very good pitchers, one of whom is Shane Bieber, who is probably going to win the Cy Young in the MVP conversation this year. So, I mean, the Twins definitely have batted around. This team is going to make the playoffs. They have the capabilities to make a playoff run. They have the talented lineup. They have the pitching. It's just all got to click at the right time. And that's usually about the same thing for any World Series team. I mean, look at the Washington Nationals last year. Nobody, they were nobody's pick to win the World Series. They had the pieces, and they just got hot at the right time, and, and that's what you have to hope for the Minnesota Twins. The biggest question right now is, though, we already know the Twins are going to make the playoffs. They're, they're a fairly certain lock. The biggest question, and they're, and they're a lock to get one of the two top spots in the division, so the biggest sp- uh, question is, what spot are they going to get? And that's going to be decided here. We're halfway through this four-game series that the Twins are playing in the south side of Chicago against the White Sox. The first two games have not gone great at all. And I was watching the game on Monday night, and it was just awful. I mean, it was bad. The Twins left 15 runners on base, only managed to score one measly run. You left the bases loaded three different times. I mean, two of which Nelson Cruz was at the plate. Your inability to score runners is why you lost that game. And then yesterday I didn't catch much of, but I think the key is that Dobnek has kind of been struggling in his last couple starts. He's kind of has to figure out a way to get that back on track. And that's again, goes to the point of trying to get everybody healthy, trying to get everybody feeling good as you go into October. Um, so the Twins have lost the first two in Chicago. They're now three games back of the White Sox in the AL Central. And basically, there's still two more games left to go. So again, it's not time to panic yet. You have to just watch these next two games in the season and kind of see where that, or these next two games in the series, and, and kind of see where that's going to go. Because if the Twins don't win the next two, the White Sox are very clear favorites to win the division at this point out. If the Twins can split the series and then keep themselves only a game back, then then they're all right. Then they, they still have a chance. They're only one game back in Chicago, but the White Sox are playing lights out lately. I mean, they're, what, 22-5 and five in their last 27 or something like that? They've gotten red hot at the right time, and, uh, you know, it... it it's going to be interesting to see how this moves forward. So the Twins have uh, 
the Central is going to be out of reach for the Twins if they don't win these next two ball games. These next two ball games are the biggest two of the season so far, and they'll be the biggest two going forward unless uh, something changes. So they need to win these next two. Now the problem is, or they have Kenta going on the hill uh, either today or tomorrow. The only question is going to be um, who's going to you know pitch that other spot. Is it going to be a bullpen game? Is it going to be Rich Hill? Because Rich Hill has not been impressive so far this season. He's been very just kind of so-so. And I know he was more signed as maybe kind of a bullpen option, maybe kind of in the same vein as Homer Bailey, who has missed a lot of the season so far. But, um, you know, as we look at this Twins team, they have a chance to win the division. They need to win these next two. They need to They need to show up big. The, the, and the, it hasn't all been on pitching. The offense has not shown up really at all this series. They've only been able to score three runs. And again, in game one, it wasn't for lack of trying. Or, I mean, they had 15 runners left on base. I can't have 15 runners left on base and you only score one run. And it wasn't because the White Sox have a great bullpen or had, you know, this great... Uh, you know, this great pitching performance, you've got the runners on base. It's your inability to, to bring them home. So that, that that game one is on the Twins. And I know people are talking about Taylor Rogers and how he blew that game late. And does this mean Taylor Rogers needs to be taken out of these more high leverage situations? And I think that is a, a conversation worth having. I would say I would say you definitely got to bring the workload down a little bit, but I wouldn't remove him from that role entirely. But I think bringing Taylor Rogers, bringing your closer in in the eighth inning is always kind of a risky move and it never really pays off. I don't know if it's because the guy gets thrown out of rhythm or what the deal is, but I don't blame that game on Rodgers that the Twins lost on Monday night because he came into the eighth inning and gave up two runs. I, I really don't. I think it's your, your offense's inability to score runs. I think you can definitely be disappointed that Rodgers didn't have a shutout inning and ended up giving you know giving them the lead, but to say that he was the reason they lost, that game has to fall squarely on the bats, um, but... And this is the thing. We're making a, you know, obviously you want to win the Central. You want to hang that banner or that flag or or whatever. You want to kind of have that credibility and you want to have that that uh, postseason spot because if the Twins win the Central, there's a very good chance that they could come out getting the one seed in the playoffs. Um, but does it really matter? I mean, does it really matter with the, the way these playoffs are constructed? So for those of you who don't know, uh, baseball's uh, last or baseball's previous playoff format had the three division had the uh, three division winners the central the east and the west and then it had two uh two wild card teams who played in a one game playoff and that guy and that team got to advance to play the uh you know the team the division winner with the best record and then the other two division winners played each other and that's kind of how the playoffs uh worked for the last six or so seasons i believe the wild card game was first put in in 2013 but uh but you the way that they've expanded it now, and I give them, you know, whatever, you can expand the playoffs in this weird season. It's a weird season anyways. You might as well experiment with some different ideas. Uh, and is this new postseason format, which is where it's the top two win- the top two teams from each division plus two wild cards. So it's an eight teams from each league. I have a problem with this in all the sports, in basketball, in hockey, um, mainly because you have teams from the bottom half of your league. So it's 16 teams. There's 30 teams in baseball. You are having teams that are in the literal bottom half of your league getting a chance to win the World Series. And we're going to have teams that are going to be below 500 playing 100 win teams in a three-game series. So it's going to be a three-game series. I A three-game series is very easy to lose. 
It really is. That's what, I think seven-game series are too long to do the entire time. I get why, if you're having expanded playoffs, you think you need to make the series shorter. But, I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous. I mean, it has to be five games has to be the minimum for a playoff series. It really does. Anything short of that is just can be just attributed to fluky kind of fluky play and things like that. And I know people look at football and the one-game playoffs and stuff like that. Football has to have one-game playoffs. But when you're in the playoffs like this for baseball, for basketball, for hockey, you can afford to have these series. And when you have these series, they can't come down to three games because it's so easy for a team to just get hot and win two and be be done with it. So I don't like the way that this uh, this expanded postseason is. I don't like the expanded postseason for that reason. I also don't like it because these last few games in the Central should really be important for the Minnesota Twins to play against Chicago. And I'm sure the Twins are trying to win these games, but if you're Rocco, if you're the Twins' management... You're going to make the playoffs, and it's important just to get your guys healthy and to go forward from there. So it takes all just kind of, and and as most fans watching, they're like, well, we're going to make the playoffs. Winning the Central doesn't really matter. Like, like even if the Twins go on a skid, Cleveland is fading fast, and they're still going to end up making the playoffs. So, I mean, there's no urgency right now. Um, for the Twins to really try and win these games outside of just wanting to win the division for the entitlement of winning the division. And I don't, I don't understand. Just this new playoff format is bad. And I can just see the Twins management, as I mentioned before. You can just see the Twins management just kind of saying, you know what, we're just going to try and get guys healthy. If we win the division, that's great. But you know what, we're, we're just trying to, uh, you know, we're just trying to coast into the end of the year and hope that we don't, uh, you know, kind of hit bottom on our way, on our way to end the season, which is not how you should manage it. You should always try and, and go in hard because if you go in kind of soft pedaling like the Twins did last year, you end up starting your series flat against the Yankees. Now, granted, uh, Buxton was hurt last year. The Twins had some guys hurt and they were kind of hobbling in anyways. But, and that kind of brings me to my next point. So if the season were to end today, uh, the Twins would have if the season were to end today. So let's we again we talked about the the updated uh, playoff bracket and things like that. Which by the way, Rob Manfred hints that he wants to bring this to be the current playoff format in baseball. And I swear, if that guy does one more thing to ruin this game of baseball, I, I don't know. Rob Manfred is a terrible commissioner. He's an awful commissioner. And I mean, he and here's the thing I've, I've talked about with bad commissioners. Rob Manfred has a sport like baseball that needs a good commissioner, that needs a commissioner that can bring the game forward, not only in the 21st century, but just to a new generation of fans, keeping the game, keeping a game that has you know, been around for over 150 years, keeping it fresh, keeping it new with, with good and smart ideas, not just throwing random things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And, here, and you can see this with the NFL. Roger Goodell obviously gets a lot of heat for being commissioner, and he's not a great commissioner either. But he has a he has the most popular sport in the country of football, a sport that no matter with the head injuries, no matter with off the field issues, no matter with you know the social unrest that's gone on, football is still a popular sport. And the rating, and I mean that by the ratings issues that can come with that for you know for the, a lot of reasons that are completely different of each other. But you have just all this stuff, and people think this is going to bring down football. This is going to bring down football, and it never does because the sport is just so dang popular. And basketball's kind of getting to that point. Their sport is popular. They can do a lot of stuff. But but even then, they experiment with their game. They do it in fresh ways. They do it in ways that are smart. They're calculated. They're doing things that aren't just, again, throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. And that is what Rob Manfred is doing with baseball. And, again, the point is, is Roger Goodell with the NFL, 
yeah, not a great commissioner, but he has such a popular sport that he can get away with making bad moves, with making weird moves, and still get away with it because the sport is so popular. But with baseball, baseball's in danger of slipping in popularity. So you need to actually make smart, calculated decisions. You can't just say, well, let's just throw in a pitch clock. Well, let's just have this. Let's just do an expanded postseason. Let's just shorten the season. Let's just um, limit inning. Let's just try and ban shifts. These are just things that are like spur of the moment, things that are not looking forward into the future. Uh, uh, three batter minimums, you know, all, all these kind of things are just moves that are very short-sighted or moves that are not, you know, they're not smart, calculated moves. And that's what you need to make, especially if you're trying to market your sport into the 21st century. And there's even some issue controversy now with uh, Trevor Bauer, who's the pitcher again for the Cincinnati Reds um, in the last year of his contract. The Twins should definitely try and pursue him in free agency. He pitched for the Cleveland Indians uh, years before. But you, but uh, he's been very active on social media, been very uh, kind of very new agey in terms of how players are approaching social media, how players are approaching the game. And you know what? Trevor Bauer's a fun guy. He makes the game of baseball fun. His social media presence is engaging, and it's something that baseball should embrace. And instead, uh, baseball uh, had some new social media policy which a lot of uh, which him and a few other guys are uh, definitely pushing back against. I'm going to try and see if I can uh, uh, look it up here to see if there's an article quick on it. Otherwise, it's just kind of stuff on. Uh, otherwise, it's just kind of stuff I've seen on social media. So I want to see if there's an actual report on this. Maybe somebody went into this a little bit further, but um, I just want to see. I think I think there might not be too much on it yet. But um, basically the whole point is is just pushing back on what players are not allowed to post during social media on social media and stuff like that. And it just kills. It just kills these players. And we talked about it early, in earlier episodes before with these old guard people who try and you know who think they're protecting the game of baseball, but really what they're doing is holding it back. You have to allow for some change as the times go by. You have to allow for things to progress otherwise. Otherwise, the game is going to get left behind because people are going to ask these questions. You're going to be like, well, you know, I, I just can't do this. So it, you need to figure this out. And that's why I, I don't think Rob Manfred's going to get it done. The only problem is, is commissioners rarely get moved. Commissioners only leave when they want to leave outside of some earth-shattering scandal. But again, it, it, it's never going to happen for a commissioner to get moved. It's just way too risky of a thing. And most owners don't want the the chaos that goes with it unless they are literally forced to make to uh to move their hand so um anyway but also so and the last thing i want to touch on here is that there will be a uh, postseason bubble now um for the playoffs so and this is for this according to espn uh, the World Series will be played entirely at the texas rangers new ballpark in arlington major league baseball fans uh hope to attend or so major league baseball hopes fans will attend the World Series. They're trying to figure out a way to get to the World Series, and I've mentioned this in football. I'll mention it again. Mentioned it in previous episodes. The Chiefs just did it on Thursday. Uh, limited capacity, social distancing, masks, all that stuff. You have proper protocols in place. Obviously, keep people safe. It shouldn't be a full-packed stadium, but to say that there can't be any fans is ridiculous. There should be some fans, and I think baseball is very smart of having of, of trying to find some way to get them in there. 
But uh, anyway, continuing, the Division Series, League Championship Series, and World Series will all be a part of a bubble designed to minimize exposure to the coronavirus, which limited the regular season to 60-game schedule for each club and caused 45 postponements. And see, this is the biggest thing. I know it's a little bit weird to just have a bubble for your postseason after playing your regular season in a bunch of different ballparks, but really, you can't afford to have a team have an outbreak in the playoffs because... The regular season, you can reschedule, you can put double headers, you can do all this kind of stuff. It's very hard to do that in the playoffs, especially you know uh, when teams are trying to. Uh, you can't have a two-week break in your postseason. You just can't. So they have to do a bubble. It's just kind of how it's going to have to be. It's going to be weird, but this whole season is full of weird things. And I think you saw the NBA and the NHL do well with their bubbles. So. Baseball has to adapt. They have to do this, and this is what I mean: making the smart, calculated risk those smart, calculated decisions, I should say. And and this is one of them. Uh, so I will give credit to them on that. But I think overall, they, they need to do a better job in a lot of different ways. Um, so I'm just trying to see if there's any... Um, I think that's uh, basically uh, there, there's going to be different sites. The World Series is going to be in Texas. There's going to be some sites in California. There's going to be some sites uh, basically in warm weather states, um, you know, in ballparks, where in cities where you can, uh, where you can afford to do this. Um, so it's going to be an interesting way to see how the postseason is going to go. But sp- And this is the last thing I want to touch on on the Twins. Byron Buxton's getting hot. I mean, Buxton went healthy. If Buxton can ever play a full 162-game season, he will be an MVP. If he can at least play 140 games a season, he would be in the running for league MVP. He is so dynamic on the field. He's dynamic on the base pads. And when his swing is hot, he can hit the ball just as good as anyone in the league. So, I mean, he'll still always be the—I mean, his ceiling is always the second-best— center fielder in baseball, obviously with Mike Trout. But, uh, you know, Byron Buxton can be a really good player. He can be an MVP candidate if he stays healthy. And you see that. You see it in the flashes, and that's why year after year, you know, the Twins are not going to give up on Byron Buxton because of that potential that you see. But also, uh, with the updated playoff standings, if the Twins were to, if the season were to end today, the Twins would be second place in the division. That would net them the four seed in the playoffs, and they would face the five seed. And who is that? The New York Yankees, because death, taxes, a global pandemic, and the Twins playing the New York Yankees in the playoffs. I mean, it's just how it's going to be. It's uh, They're going to play the Yankees for the end of time or until they can uh, finally beat the Yankees in a playoff series, whichever one comes first. And I, at this point, I don't know which one to choose. So I just don't have, I know some people are saying the Twins should just keep playing New York until they beat them and defeat that narrative, which... It's so hard to defeat a narrative in sports, even when you win. Even if the Twins beat the Yankees once in this playoff series, Yankees fans and the national media are just going to say, well, it's a bubble. We had our guys hurt. That doesn't really count. This season's weird. It doesn't count. Blah, 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 blah. And it's still going to be that thing of we still... And then even if they don't bring up that, they're still going to say, yeah, we've beat you this year, this year, this year, this year, this year, and this year. You know, it's the thing of our team won a Super Bowl, and then our team won a World Series, and they're like, yeah, but our team's won 27, so what does it matter? They're just always going to fall back on that. The national media will still fall back on, yeah, well, they still won here, 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 and here. So historically, you know, it's just, it's, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it, but I I, I just want to play a different team. I know the whole, you got to beat them eventually, and 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 I, I think that's true, but... I just want to play a different team in the playoffs. 
I mean, so we'll we'll see how that goes as the season goes on. Uh, but let's finish off the podcast by uh, talking about the Vikings and their Week One game. We didn't get we didn't get time to preview it last week with an episode, but uh, one thing um, I was gonna say was um, you know just one thing I have to say about this Vikings game was just what the heck was even that? I mean, what was that performance? Everything went downhill after the safety to Kirk Cousins, after the Vikings got a goal line stand on a drop pass by the Packers. They have, you know, they just got a goal line stand. They're up seven to three. They have a chance to go down the field again. Dalvin Cook was running the ball great all game. And then they get that safety on a, on a long developing play action on a not a nine step drop. I mean, just everything about that play when you're at the goal line, when you are literally, when Kirk Cousins is literally takes, as soon as he stands up, he's in his own end zone. I I mean, I don't understand the logic in that. And I know the people say that he should have saw the blitzing corner or the blitz, you know, the guy just kind of blitzed off the cuff, which is like, yeah, he should have did that. Because I mean, honestly, even if, even if he didn't blitz, just the fact of calling a long developing pass play while you're deep in your own end zone like that. Look, if you're at like the 10 and you do it, and you're like in front of the goal line, that's risky, but it's one thing. But when you're deep in your own goal line like that, when you're on your own end zone, you can't be doing that. You can't be calling that play. Um, so everything went sideways to the Vikings after that because then they got down. Um, then they started to go downhill. They got down uh, early in the second half. They uh, A bad throw by Cousins leads to an interception, and then they score a touchdown off that. And then all of a sudden in the second half, you're just having to throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. And then it gets to garbage time. And then so your biggest asset was Dalvin Cook. You just got him signed to an extension, which, by the way, congrats on Dalvin. Um, I knew the Vikings would get it done at some point. Um, rarely do they let a guy walk. Um, if they really want to keep him, they usually find a way to keep him around unless the demands are ungodly high. Um, so they found a way to make that work. But Dalvin Cook is your best player, and you couldn't use him effectively because your team got down early, which is always the gamble you have when you centerpiece your offense around a running back. And the Vikings offense has the the tools to be good still. They have the pieces. They just have to make it all come together. And the offense will have will take a step up. The, the line uh, from the accounts, all accounts I was seeing, was shady. Brian O'Neill obviously had a couple bad plays, but overall it was fine. I think the biggest thing is just they got down early. They had to play out of their element, and the game just got out of hand way too fast. Also, the Packers dominated time of possession. I mean, they dominated time of possession. I think the Vikings only had the ball for, like, what, 20 minutes in that game? I mean, it's insane how much Green Bay controlled time. The Vikings' defense was gassed by halftime. Um, and so let's let's talk about the Vikings' defense for a little bit. I think one of the biggest... Uh, there are a couple big things that came out from this game. One, this is a young secondary. This is a secondary that needs some experience, um, and they had no preseason games, which we'll get. I, I think no preseason games and no fans definitely wasn't the reason that the Vikings lost. They straight out got outplayed by Green Bay, but it definitely did factor into how that game went because your it's your home opener. Usually the fans are all you know. It's just a crazy. I've been to U.S. Bank Stadium on home openers. It's, you know, it's just every team is excited. You know, everybody in the building is excited. Everybody's ready to go. It's a new season. And, you know, usually that at least can kind of bring you something. Um, playing in preseason games, 
um, gets you a little bit more of that experience of hitting somebody in a different colored helmet. It gets you that experience of game action, even though it's exhibition. It just gets you that, you know, kind of how things go. And so the Vikings' new corners of Cam Dantzler, Jeff Gladney, they got thrown right into the fire. They got baptized by fire against Aaron Rodgers, who isn't as good as he was 10 years ago, but is still Aaron Rodgers and is still a great quarterback, and you have to respect him on that. And the Vikings obviously couldn't get it done. Um, They had zero pass rush on Rodgers. He had all day to throw. And again, we talked about this before. If you you have a young secondary, the biggest thing you need to help them out. Now, I know they have Rhodes and they have Harris, but, but they're not lining up against the wide receivers on every play. And so you have these young wide receivers. You have Mike Hughes, who has a little bit of experience. You have Holton Hill, who has a little bit of experience, but they don't have they don't have really long experiences of being the top corners on a team. And so you have these young corners getting baptized by fire against Aaron Rodgers, having no preseason, having no pass rush, because again, a pass rush helps out your secondary by giving the quarterback less time to throw, meaning less time you have to cover. That didn't happen. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers made a pay. And Aaron Rodgers also made some really great throws that only Aaron Rodgers can make. Um, so, I mean, a little not all of it goes to the... You know, even guys like Rhodes and Wayne's in their prime, some of those passes, it's just really hard to stop. Um, but, and see, I hate giving Rodgers credit like this, so I blame the Vikings again for making me have to do this. Um, anyways, but I know people are saying, you know, should we be concerned about the defense? We should be concerned about the defense. We should be concerned about the defensive line. Daniil Hunter is out with a neck injury. He's on short-term IR. He's going to be out for the first three weeks of the season, so we're going to miss him for the next two games. And... It's going to have to, you know, the Vikings are going to have to learn to live without him. Yannick Ngakwe, granted, it's his first week trying to pick up a new playbook, and the Vikings, I'm sure, are trying to ease him in. He really didn't show up at all. He had zero pressures, um, you know, and that's concerning, but it's nothing alarming. Um, they didn't get any pressure. The defensive line is very young. I mean, you, and Michael Pierce opted out, who was the nose tackle to replace Linval Joseph. And even though Linval Joseph's quality went down last year, he was he's still a serviceable NFL player. He's still a smart, savvy vet who knows what he's doing. Uh, trying to replace him with Shamar Stefan and trying to replace him with uh, you know Jaleel Johnson and those kind of guys. Like they're 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 guys. They're not terrible players, but they're just not to the level that the Vikings have had the last few years. So it's going to be uh, you know it's going to be an adjustment. And they're going to have to learn to live with it. And then you also have uh, Daniel Hunter again being hurt. You have no Everson Griffin, so you lose also just the the team captain of your defense. And it's going to be a growing year. Again, it's going to be you're rebuilding the defense. This is probably going to be a top fifteen to ten defense. It's not going to be a top five defense. If I, you know, and we'll see as the season goes on. But when you have rookie corners, they always take time to develop. You are never going to have a corner. Rarely, rarely will you have a corner step in in the NFL and do great coming right out of the gate. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Marcus Peters was an example, but even then, Marcus Peters played well, and now he's kind of like plateaued. So the point is, you don't have corners who just come in right away in the NFL and do well. Xavier Rhodes, it took him a few years. It took him a couple years under Mike Zimmer to really become Rhodes closed, the great player that he was. Trey Waynes, remember everybody made, you know, everybody gave him so much heat his rookie year because he didn't do anything. And as time went on, he slowly developed into a into a serviceable, good number two NFL corner. I mean, Mackenzie Alexander took some time, you know. It there are players in the NFL who take time to develop. I mean, heck, look at the corners for Green Bay. Um, you know, Jair Alexander and uh, um, and Kevin King is who I'm thinking of, and th- their two corners. 
you know, Green Bay drafted him right away, and they expected and they expected their corners to do well. They did not. It ta- and now they're they're you know there's some pretty good players. So it takes time to develop corners. It is there are a bunch of rules against. You know, defensive backs, there's all the pass interferences. The league is trying to make it more of a passing league. There's just, and having no preseason games, having no fans, you know, just all this weird stuff getting thrown at you, it's going to take some time. But you have to trust, you know, pull out your Philadelphia 76ers thing here and trust the process. Trust that Mike Zimmer is going to get it done. It's going to be a work in progress. It's when you get to that quarter mark, that halfway mark, you know, end of the season, and then you look back, that's when you can really say, okay, we need to be concerned or do we not need to be concerned? But it takes time for corners to develop. So the Vikings, and rational Vikings fans knew this coming in, but just for people who are just concerned about the way that the defensive backs played, it's going to take some time. The only thing, they're playing Aaron Rodgers. It's their first game. There's no fans. This is a learning experience for everyone. So it is... It's going to be interesting to see how uh, they're going forward, uh, but I'm not going to sound the alarms and say that the season's over yet. It's going to take some time. The Vikings are, have still a good, talented collection of players, even on defense. You know, they still have Harris, they still have Smith, they still have Barr, Kendricks, um, Daniel Hunter when he gets healthy. So we just got to have to uh, kind of wait and see on that. Um, but my biggest thing, honestly, also the Vikings in the second half, uh, a play that also kind of stopped any momentum they had in the second half was on fourth and three, they went for it kind of at about, it would have been a 57 yard field goal. I'm not trusting Dan Bailey to make a 57 yard field goal. Um, so, you know, Mike Zimmer decides to go for it and which I think is a great call. It's you, you don't want to punt. You want to try and get your team in the end zone. You're behind by what was it like 19 points or something like that. You need to get your team back in the game. You kind of need to take that risk. I'm not mad at the risk. I'm mad at the play call. I am, you know, or, you know, I'm upset at the play call. I'm upset that the, they decided on fourth and three to hit, try and do a, a, you know, a play action, a deep, just kind of a streak route to Tajay Sharp. And that's, and it just, it, it, Cousins was off with him for a few, you know, he was, they were off by a little bit. Um, but I don't know why you don't try a quick hitting play on that, or you don't try and run it with Delvin. I don't know why you don't try any of that. Gary Kubiak's a smart offensive mind. He knows what he's doing. But let's not take for granted that Kevin Stefanski knew how to modernize Kubiak's systems, things that he learned from Shermer, things that he learned just kind of being around the league for as long as he did. Stefanski was able to modernize Kubiak's offense, and I'm not saying he can't modernize it. I'm just saying that Kubiak uh, definitely had some questionable play calls in this first game. But then again, the Vikings somehow pull off and win. Nobody really complains about the play calling. When they lose, every decision you make is, uh, is called into question. But again... The biggest thing I think I got to take away from this game is no fans definitely played a part. Uh, again, not why they lost. They lost because they got outplayed. But no fans played a part. And also um, the preseason, no preseason, no joint practices, which a lot of teams really like to do, including the Vikings, joint practices during training camp where a team, where two teams are going to play each other in a preseason game and they decide to have a week's worth of practices together, um, which a lot of coaches like better than a preseason game because you can actually coach them against a different team, against different uh, players. So last thing I want to touch on uh, with the Vikings for the podcast is um, I'm just going through my notes here, making sure I kind of hit uh, hit everything we needed to hit. But uh, does the biggest thing is I've heard some people say, and, and there's going to always be the Kirk criticizers. There's always going to be those people. Um, and basically they came out and said, you know, like, we're going to get annoyed. You're going to get annoyed of us saying this, but Kirk has to step up. Kirk has to be the guy to put the team on his back and kind of just overcome these things. To which I'm like, yeah, but. 
yeah, but that's honestly what it, like yeah, obviously you want your quarterback to elevate the level of play around him and make everybody better and and do all that kind of stuff. But honestly, how many quarterbacks in this league can do that? And I was just thinking about this before I started recording the podcast as I was kind of writing down some names. I mean, you have Russell Wilson, you have Aaron Rodgers, you have Patrick Mahomes, you have Deshaun Watson, and maybe Dak Prescott. I don't really, I don't think I would include him in that area, but maybe some people would. Um, you know, kind of going around the league thinking of uh, thinking of different guys, and honestly, it's really hard. I mean, I wouldn't even say Matt Ryan's a guy like that. I think, you know, as as you look at teams around the league, um, thinking. You know, there, there's just not many quarterbacks who can elevate the level of play around them so much as when everything's falling apart. There's some guys who can do that, you know. Um, maybe you could say Tom Brady in New England. I would say that's more on coaching and the structure. But, I mean, you can make that case. Um, but, again, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, um, and there's probably a couple other guys whose names are escaping me, so I'm not saying that this is a definitive list, but, you know, this is definitely uh, – this is definitely kind of what the, the landscape of the NFL is. There are still good quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. He's more in that Matt Ryan, uh, kind of Andy Dalton when he still played for the Bengals um, kind of mold where it's like things need to be good around them to be successful, but that doesn't mean that they aren't good players. They need to be in a system built for them. They need to have good piece. They need to have decent enough pieces around them. They can't take an offense of pure nobodies and make them, you know, great like Russell Wilson's been able to do. Like Mahomes, you know, I mean, Mahomes has had a good system in place with Andy Reid. But but you know what I mean, guys who can just elevate the level of play of their teams. And I didn't include Lamar Jackson because he has been put in a good situation so far um, with Baltimore. So maybe time will tell. I'm not saying he's not that kind of a guy, but, but again, um, it's just, there are only a handful of guys around in this league and expecting Kirk Cousins to be Aaron Rodgers, expecting Kirk Cousins to be Russell Wilson on that same level of that. They're just going to elevate the level of play of their team every time they lose. I mean, this is something anytime the Vikings lose and they play bad. I mean, well, I mean, anytime they lose, everybody's like, man, Cousins just should have found a way. He should have just found a way. He just pulled something out of his butt. And I understand that frustration. I understand that like you just want your quarterback to be a gamer a guy who just finds a way to win. And it's and it's fair to make that critique every once in a while. But, I mean, when it's every loss, when it's every time, it's like, yeah, but. Like, Kirk Cousins is who he is. You are not going to, he's not going to suddenly transform into this different quarterback. And even when Kirk Cousins left Washington and came to Minnesota, maybe there were high hopes from Vikings fans that he would kind of change that attitude, that maybe that perception of him, you know, maybe that things need to be great around him. And, you know, maybe if we just put him in our setting, then he'll just kind of fix X, Y, and Z. And some things have been better. He is in a better system. He has way better weapons. He has more stable organization around him. But at the same time, he's still the same quarterback on most circumstances. He is still the same quarterback, and expecting him to be a different quarterback, expecting him to be a guy who's just going to come out of nowhere, put the team on his back, and just make all obstacles feel like nothing, he's not incapable of that, but it's just you can't expect that. You can't expect that out of Kirk Cousins. You just have to look at him for who he is, accept his flaws, accept his strengths, and go from there. And there will be some games you're going to lose because Cousins just can't put the team on his back and just when everything's on fire around him, be able to just pick everybody up and pull them out. And would it be nice? Of course it would be. But there are a whole bunch of teams who have good quarterbacks who would say the same thing. 
Matt Ryan is another one. Now, I know he had a Super Bowl appearance, but there are still things, there's still that kind of same critique of, you know, he needs to have stuff right around him. He just can't pull his team to kind of these good records. You know, uh, uh, other quarterbacks are only, Carson Wentz is another one. Uh, Dak, Dak Prescott's another one. You know, they're, they're just some, Jared Goff is another one. You know, they're just some guys who need good structure around them to play well, and and there's only three or four quarterbacks in this league who really can can do that, who can just raise the level of play no matter what. So anyway, that's just kind of my soapbox stand. I'm not a Cousins defender. I'm not saying Cousins is the perfect quarterback. I'm not saying Cousins is the best quarterback ever. No, obviously he's a quarterback with a lot of flaws and some flaws that can be very damaging to Vikings, uh, to the Vikings Super Bowl hopes. But also he is still a he's still in the top half of quarterbacks in this league. And people who think that, well, he can't be, he's not a Mahomes, he's not a Watson. We just need to get rid of him and hope for the next guy. It's wishful thinking because you know what? Um, You rarely land one of those guys. And even if you think you're getting one of them, you need to, like, it still has to actually work out. It's just, you sometimes just have to kind of lock into the right quarterback. And the Vikings have a good quarterback in Cousins. He's not great. He has a lot of flaws, but he's definitely uh, definitely shouldn't be blamed anytime the Vikings lose a game that he didn't step up in the right way. Um, anyway, uh, so the final thing I wanted to touch on here with the podcast uh, before we ended, I know it's more of a Minnesota sports podcast, but just a couple things around the league I wanted to touch on quick. Um, the old, the two oldest quarterbacks ever in NFL history, or I should say a matchup between I think it's like the combined age of the two quarterbacks or something like that is the oldest and is the is the largest in NFL history. Drew Brees and Aaron and uh, Drew Brees and Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Now that was obviously obviously I tuned in. I kind of went back and forth watching them and the Twins on Sunday, just kind of uh, seeing how he did in his debut. And Tom Brady obviously looks like he's falling off a little bit. I mean, he's just not the same Tom Brady. Um, not saying he can't win games. Not saying he can't be productive. He's just not that same guy. Um, and they have the and everybody who's making a big deal. They have Gronk back. They have Lashawn McCoy, um, and they have Leonard Fournette, and they have all these players, and they're going to be so good. I mean, it's the dream team from 2015, I guess. Like I don't know. I mean, Mike Evans is a good wide receiver, but I mean, what is it? the? I mean, it's just there's not a lot. There's there's good players on the team. Gronk can still be productive, but he's nothing. He's nowhere near to where he was five years ago. Lashawn McCoy being on that roster is nowhere near where he was five years ago. Um, so basically, Tampa Bay could still be a good team. They could still be a playoff team. But I think the Saints proved yesterday that it was still their division to lose and that they're still kind of running the show there. Um, so again, with Tampa Bay, I'm not. I was never on the hype train with them. It was a lot of pre. It was a lot of uh, kind of off-season hype uh, for them and a lot of media just kind of wanting them to be good. So we'll see how that actually goes. But it's definitely. Uh, it's definitely a work in progress for them right now. And again, they're another team. A lot of teams with first-year head coaches or a lot of teams with new quarterbacks are kind of new teams coming in. So a team like Tampa with a new uh, quarterback coming in with kind of you, you change, you completely change your offense from Jameis to Tom Brady. I mean, you have to. No preseason games definitely played into a part there. Um, when you look at teams like the Vikings who had a bunch of new defensive players, no preseason definitely played a part in there. When you look at teams with a new head coach, I'm around the league. I'm trying to think of uh, trying to think of, like Dallas with Mike McCarthy. There's going to be some growing pains that are going to come with it. Um, I mean, you just and maybe there's a better example of that. But there are different head coaches around the league, you know, who are making their first game as head coach, and 
and you know with a new team teams that are having a whole roster full of new players there's going to be some growing pains and that's kind of what this first first month of the season is now is it's basically your preseason the only thing is it's just these games count now and lastly uh, I mentioned death taxes and the twins uh, playing the Yankees in the playoffs even during a global pandemic death taxes and the Browns being the Browns getting absolutely destroyed by uh, by Baltimore uh, on Sunday. Uh, you can definitely tell the Ravens didn't forget about the times when uh, Cleveland got the best of them in the regular season, and uh, they came out right away. Uh, Lamar proved why he's the MVP. The Ravens proved why they were, they were the one seed in the AFC last year, and they're going to keep on rolling. Uh, I believe Cleveland had a three and forty one, or a third and forty one situation at the uh, at the game at some point in the game on Sunday. And this is the basic thing with the Browns. I like Stefanski. I think he'll be a good head coach. I think he's not like the next like young like offensive mind that's going to revolutionize the game, but I think he is a savvy offensive minded guy. And I think he can ha- and I think he can put Baker in a position to succeed um if things go right for them. So Stefanski's not going to be a bad head coach. But you know, when people look at okay, well, they got all these players and they, you know, they made all these splashy moves, now they're going to be great. And then you look, and then they had Freddie Kitchens last year, who was a terrible head coach, obviously weighing over his head, had no idea what he was doing. So then they get rid of him. And now they're like, okay, well, now we have Stefanski. He'll kind of bring order to things, and now we'll be back on track. Now we're going to get to where we want to go. That doesn't always happen like that in any team. But I mean, just, and sorry to Cleveland Browns fans, whoever listened to this podcast, but I mean, look, until your team actually has success on the field, I'm never going to buy into postseason hype or offseason hype. I'm never going to buy into even them playing well for a three-game stretch. Until Cleveland can actually put together a winning season, until they can actually put together a serviceable team on the field, until they can actually, like, they, they're one of those teams who you have to actually see it to believe it. There are some teams where you can buy, buy offseason hype, and you can buy this and buy that, but the Browns have just been so dysfunctional over the last 20 years that it's like, I actually, like, I need to see it, and not only do I need to see it, I need to see their success in a larger sample size than I would need to see any other teams just because of how bad they've been. And that's not a knock on their fans. That's not a knock on some of their players. It's just it's just how it is. When you've been bad for so long, you ha- like people don't give you the benefit of the doubt. And people who do give you the benefit of the doubt are wishful thinking at best. Um, anyway, so uh, the Vikings will play the Indianapolis Colts led by Phillip Rivers. That's weird to say. Uh, They're going to go to Indianapolis and be their first road game of the year. So we'll see how no fans are. I don't know. I don't believe Indianapolis is going to have fans. Maybe they will. Either way, we'll see how this kind of coronavirus uh, league, we'll see that how that impacts travels. The Vikings go on the road for the first time this as the Vikings go on the road for the first time this season. We'll see how that happens. And uh, maybe we'll do a podcast kind of later in the week, breaking that down before the game on Sunday, kind of breaking down maybe how the Twins play in these final two games of the uh, series against Chicago. Um, sports are heating up. Sports are coming back. The Big Ten made their decision to come back. I didn't even touch on that. Maybe we'll touch on that kind of in the next one. The Big, I'll, I'll just kind of be quick. The Big Ten is going to come back. They made that decision earlier today. It was kind of expected as things went on. I know the president obviously was, uh, he was, I'm not going to say he was instrumental because we don't know enough about that, but I know he was definitely a, a vocal leader um, calling for uh, the Big Ten to resume play, reports of that he offered a, a bunch of testing resources to them if they wanted. So, um, But the Big Ten is back, and you know what? For gopher football, for Wisconsin football, for whatever kind of football team you cheer for in the Midwest, or just as a college football fan, it is great to have at least that coming back. They are scheduled to come back October 24th, and they're going to have a nine-game season. I think it's going to be eight games. 
eight or nine week season with eight games scheduled and then a ninth game at the end of the year. So a Big Ten championship game and then other teams from around the Big Ten will kind of be slotted up depending on how uh, the season goes. So it'll be interesting look at how uh, how the college football season is going to play out. But you know what? The Big Ten being back in the college football mix is a great thing for college football. It is a great thing for the Midwest. It is a great thing for the country. And sports are on their way back. They're going to look different. It's going to take some time before we get back to what we used to know them as. But you know what? Take the wins when you can get them. And you guys have a great rest of your week. You're listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.